everybody. Thanks for listening uh, to Thinking Biblically about things that matter. Um, we are continuing our series on apologetics. Um, my name is Steve Braun. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church in Warsaw. And what you're listening to is um, content uh, from uh, my Sunday school class here at First Baptist. And so we are working our way through a series on apologetics. And last week we noted that apologetics is simply knowing what we believe, why we believe it, being able to communicate it to others. We're, we're kind of standing on 1 Peter 3.15 um, as, our, as our verse that helps us to understand that idea, um, where it just says, In your hearts, honor Christ, as, uh, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or an apologia to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we, we talked last time, um, last lesson we, we talked about um, um, just that, that apologetics is not so much about great debating skills. It's, it's more about, by God's grace, living a life of, of righteousness, of holiness, um, and, and seeking to honor Christ. Um, and, and living a life like that uh, will just absolutely bring you into these kinds of conversations um, where you're called upon to, to make a defense. And so, and, and so being ready to, to do that. Um, so, and so um, today what we want to do is, um, today what we want to do is we want to tackle the question, why don't people believe? Why, why is there unbelief? Why do people refuse to believe the Word of God? Right? Um, and, and, and just like last lesson, this, this lesson is greatly helped by a little book called um, Expository Apologetics by Vody Bauckham. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Romans 1, 16 through 31, and we're going to try to answer the question, um, why do people refuse to believe the Word of God. Why unbelief? And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a, a forest and the trees approach here. You know this, the saying, if you get too close to the, to the trees, you can't see the forest, right? So you, you got you to be able to see the forest, right? So we want to step back and see the big picture. But it's also true that if you don't get close enough to the trees, you, you can't really see them. So we want, to look at, we want to look at the big picture, but then we also want to look at the trees. We want to look at the details. So... Big picture first, and then the details. So that's what we're going to do as we kind of work our way through Romans 1, 16 through 31. So, so first, let's see the big picture. The, the big picture is in um, verses 16 through 18. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then Paul gives sort of just like this classic verse on unbelief. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is the classic sort of description of unbelief. Um, and it helps us to see exactly what's happening. Here's the big picture. The big picture is not, this is not an information problem. This is a sin problem. Humans suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. 
This is why um, Paul is leading in with the gospel. This is why he's going to open up this conversation about unbelief. He's going to open it up with the gospel because this is our only hope. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So apologetics is always going to ultimately about, be about gospel proclamation because the gospel, if we, if we leave out the gospel, then we are, we are going to fail to meet our hearer's most desperate need and we're going to ignore the most powerful tool at our disposal. So the big picture, we have to see the forest, right? We have to see the big picture. The, 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 the big picture problem is unrighteousness. This is why people suppress the truth. It's sin. It's unrighteousness. And then the big solution is the gospel. Big picture, picture solution is the gospel. That is the power of God for salvation. So that's the big picture. Got to keep it in mind. Now let's look at the details, right? Let's take a closer look at the trees. All right, let's, let's go through the details one by one. First detail is this. God's power is clearly perceived. Verses 19 and 20, for what can be known about God, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to these people who are suppressing the truth. It's plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Men know God. They know that he exists. And, and they know quite a bit about his attributes, his power, his divine nature. They know this through creation. God has declared his own power and his own divine nature. It is clearly perceived. God has shown it to them. So, so these, these verses are teaching us, like, they're, they're, these verses are teaching us, you don't have to be exceptionally bright to believe in a creator. You don't have to be exceptionally bright to believe in the divine power of that creator. You don't have to go looking for evidence. You don't have to get your magnifying glass or your telescope out. You don't have to. People can know, people can know the divine power of God simply by looking around. It's clear, it's plain to them. It's clearly perceived by them. Now, this is not saying that people can know everything about God through creation or even have a saving knowledge of God through creation. It's not saying that, but it is saying that there is plenty of evidence for any rational person anywhere to know that there is a divine, powerful creator. So, so that's our first detail. We have to have that detail. God's power is clearly perceived. Now, our second detail, but humans don't honor God so they become fools. That's our second detail. Humans don't honor God, so they become fools. Verses 21 and 22 say, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So human beings absolutely know enough of God to desire to honor Him and thank Him and move towards Him in worship, but they do not honor Him. And so they become futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts are darkened. They become fools. So, so this, the, the, the wording here is not describing like this point that every person comes to where they, you know, they're 18 or they're 21 or they're 35 or something and they just turn their back on God. They, 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 they collect all the evidence and they, they just re refuse it or something like that. It's, this is talking about sort of the general 
fundamental nature of humans, right? The general truth is that God's divine power is being revealed and then humans are not honoring him, so they're becoming fools, right? People should honor God, they know enough to do that, they refuse to, so they become fools. This is a general truth. It's not talking about like this sort of chronological timeline in a person's life. It's talking about here's just, how, here's just how, who humans are. This is how they, um, this is how they think. And this is incredibly important for us to remember that, that when we're in conversation with people who refuse to believe the word of God, we, we are talking with fools. We're talking with fools. And Romans 1 teaches us it's their fault that they are fools. They're, they're choosing this. And it's, but please remember, please hear this. That, that if you believe the gospel, if you believe the word of God this morning, or this afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, please understand, please remember that you and I would be fools as well if God had not shown in our hearts the glory of Jesus Christ. So we don't say these people are fools to make a big deal out of the fact that, that like, like we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not trying to like feel superior. We, but, but it's, it's important for us to understand this because we, 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 have to, we, we have to realize that, that this is who they've become. This is the language of the Bible. They've suppressed the, the, the truth. They've suppressed what is clearly perceived by them, what has been made plain to them. They've suppressed it, and they've refused to honor God, and so they have become fools. Their, their foolish hearts have become darkened. They've become Futile in their thinking. Third detail, they exchange God for idols. Verse 23, here's, a, here's sort of the, the third deal when we, detail when we're trying to figure out what's happening here with unbelief. Why, people, why do people refuse to believe? What's the, the, the third detail in this is they exchange God for idols. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They still worship, everyone worships, but instead of worshiping the one who deserves their worship, they look anywhere, everywhere else. God had expressly forbidden idolatry in his law, but they had done it anyway. And this is the sin beneath all sins. It's this disregard for the glory of God. This is the height of foolishness. And it also adds a, it gives an added dimension to our conversation. Because, because idolatry, of course, for the most part, looks very different than it did then. So idolatry in the 21st century is very different than idolatry in the 1st century. But it operates in the human heart the exact same way. When we're, when we're asking someone to throw their lot in with Jesus, when we're asking someone to trust and follow Jesus, when we're proclaiming to someone that Jesus is Lord, when, when we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone, we are attacking their idols. We're, we're attacking their only known sources of comfort and identity and safety and security. We're attacking what they're devoted to. So there's, a, there's an added dimension there, isn't there? They've exchanged God for idols. And now the fourth detail, God gives people over to a 
debased mind and to their wicked desires. Verses 24 through 32. I'm going to read these verses. We're not going to do a deep dive into them. I'm not going to unpack every phrase, but I want to read these verses. Therefore God, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to, a dishonor, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men con committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they do did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are filled, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, there's a lot going on in those verses. I'm not going to unpack all of it. But it is, I mean, we, we have to see sin is personal against God. It's personal with God. The, the thing that makes sin egregious is that it dishonors God. It has no regard for God's glory. And God takes it personally. He is the one giving these individuals up. He gives these people up. These are people that he has created, and they have no regard for him. They refuse to honor him. They refuse to worship him. They instead want to indulge their lusts in whatever seem, seems best to them. So we have to understand that from these verses, see once again that, that God takes this personally. That the, that the sin underneath all other sins is this disregard for God. And then they do all of this stuff. They indulge their lusts in whatever ways seem best to them. Even though, verse 32 says, even though they know better, there, there is a way in which the conscience of man, he knows that this kind of behavior is wrong, that it deserves judgment and punishment and death, but he doesn't care. He knows it on some level. It is this very mysterious thing where, where men, men know, humans know. They know that there is a creator. They know it. They know it but they are suppressing the truth. And then verse 32 says, not only do they know there's a creator, they know what they're doing is wrong. It deserves judgment, but they ignore that as well. They do these things and they even give approval to those who do them. This all comes from their debased mind, a mind that has chosen to worship the created thing rather than the creator. So God has given them up. God has given them up. So that's the, so that's Romans, really quickly, Romans 1, 16 through 31. I, I, we wanted to see the, the big picture, right? The, the big problem is sin. The, the big solution is the gospel. And then we wanted to see some of these details just to kind of get a, a closer look at what's happening here. Now, very quickly, how, how do we respond? How do we respond? We've seen what unbelief is according to Romans chapter 1. So how do we respond? 
got a couple of things, and I'm, I'm sure you could think of many other things, but, but here's, a, here's a couple that come to mind. One, we must remember that those who question the Word of God are not as rational as we might first think. Right? We're, we're, it's, it, 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 you know, it's, it, it's so hard to say this in a way that is respectful and gentle, because we're called to be respectful and gentle and humble. We're called to do that, right? It's hard to, it's hard to say this in a way that sounds respectful and gentle, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But here's the thing. When, when we are debating, when we are arguing, when we're having a, a, a conversation um, with someone who doesn't believe the Word of God, what we have to understand is that we're not debating with a rational person. We're, we're debating with someone whose who's thinking is futile. It's worthless. It doesn't work properly. Their, their, their hearts and their minds have been darkened. They think that foolishness is wisdom, and they think that the wisdom of the Word of God is foolishness. We have to kind of remember that because we get caught up in their vocabulary and, and how many books they've read and how good they are at explaining things and how many degrees they have, and we just we feel outclassed. But the truth of God's Word is, no, their thinking is actually foolish. It's, it's not wise. It's foolish. So let's be very careful about trying to find common ground, about trying to meet people halfway. Because, if, because think about it, if you've, if you've found common ground with someone who thinks the word of God is foolish, then perhaps you've given up too much to get there. Let's be okay with presuppositional apologetics. You presuppose the word of God is true. That's the basis you're working from. And what we must remember that anything that rejects the Word of God is foolishness. So let's not play whack-a-mole apologetics, right? Let's not cast our pearls before swine. Let's not answer a fool according to his folly. What, what do I mean by that? I, I just mean let, let's, let's pray that God gives us wisdom and discernment to know when, when we're talking with someone who is, who is asking questions because they truly, they truly want to try to figure things out and then and then sometimes we're 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 talking with someone who's, who they, they're, they're not asking questions because they want to figure things out they 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 just want to play whack-a-mole with us where where they just ask us a question well what about this and then we give them you know what about what about you know the bible doesn't the bible like just kind of hate women or doesn't the bible pro slavery or isn't the bible for polygamy or isn't the isn't the bible like not trustworthy or doesn't doesn't science disprove the bible or whatever they just ask us a question so we give a reasonable answer for that and then instead of engaging sort of that answer that we've given they just move on to a completely different question and they say well what about this and what about that you can play what about for forever so let's not get into that Let's have the wisdom. Jesus himself said, don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. So let's have the, the wisdom to know, you know what, it's time to move on. But then also let's pray. Let's, let's pray that God will, will, will help us to know where to spend our time and energy and, and which conversations to devote ourselves to. And, uh, because there are people in our lives who have a lot of questions. I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm thinking of someone right now that, 
that that um that we we engage with often and they have a lot of questions but it's clear from the way that they're asking them and the way that they're interacting with our answers that they they want to learn and they want to grow and it seems very much like this these are this is god sort of breaking down barriers to the gospel in their in their mind and in their heart it's a totally different thing and that's what we're praying for right second timothy 2 says the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone so so first in verse 23 it says have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies you know that they bring quarrels so don't get into the dumb debates don't get into the foolish, ignorant things, but instead be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his, his opponents with gentleness. So, so we, we do correct people. We don't get into foolish debates, but we are glad to try to correct, um, to, to, to correct people with, with gentleness. Why? God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. This is what we're praying for. In verse 26 says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so we, we don't, we're not trying to get someone to come to their senses so that they'll repent. We're praying that God will give them repentance so that they come to their senses. This is, this is why we, are, the, the next thing, the, the second re, kind of response to unbelief, this is why we must fill our apologetic arguments with the gospel. This is the second way we respond. We, we fill our apologetic arguments with the gospel because we're praying that God brings repentance. And how does repentance come? Through the proclamation of the gospel. It doesn't come by us convincing someone or answering all of their questions. It comes from them believing the gospel by God's grace. It comes from God granting them repentance, and then they come to their senses. So let's pray that God gives us wisdom to know when to just kind of get into this good, deep conversation with someone and when to realize, wow, this person is just messing with me. They, they, they're, they're, they're not interested at all. They're just messing with me. And, and it's sad that I, I, I have to spend my time elsewhere. And, and, then, and then when we do, when we do get into good conversations with someone, we must, number two, fill our apologetic arguments with the gospel. Because we, we are convinced unbelief is not an information problem, it's an unrighteousness problem, it's a sin problem. So what's needed is a change of heart and a change of mind. What's needed is the power of salvation. This comes through gospel proclamation. Now, this is not to say that if someone asks you about evolution, that, that you're not ready with some good information for them. That, that is what we're going to do over the next several weeks. We're going to, over the next several lessons, we're going we're gonna to try to gather up good information um, that we can give when people ask us good questions. We, we want to be ready for that. But if someone asks you, how can you possibly believe that God created the world? You, yes, you have some good answers for them. Yes. But then also, we, we remember a few things. Right? We remember you probably can't understand the gospel without understanding God as creator. Right? If God didn't create us, it doesn't matter if we offend him. If he did, then it matters. It matters a lot. So, so, so creation is important, right? It is important, but creation is only part of the story. 
and and we also have to remember that many people they only really truly like intellectually or emotionally grab hold of creationism while they're coming to faith or maybe after they've come to faith right like it, it, um there's a lot of stuff in the bible that because we're christians because god has changed our hearts we have a, we have a, just have a much more humble posture towards it even if we don't understand it completely we believe it So many people really only grab hold of creationism um, after they've become Christians. So the gospel has to be explicit even in our here's why I believe in creation discussions, right? So even when we're saying here's why I believe creation is, uh, is, is valid, here's why I believe it makes sense, here's why I believe it makes way more sense than evolution, even when we're having those kind of conversations, we have to be careful to to land hard on the gospel even in those conversations because the gospel is the power of salvation and that's what is going to take down unbelief. As always, if you have comments or questions, um, you, can, you can shoot me an email, pastorsteveron at gmail.com. Um, Ron is spelled R-A-H-N. So pastorsteveron at gmail.com. I'd uh, love to hear uh, anything you have to say about, um, about apologetics, about the nature of unbelief, about the power of the gospel. Um, so any questions or comments you have. And, um, and then next week, we will, we will start with our first question. We will, um, we will dive into the claim that Christianity is the only right religion, the, the exclusive claims of Christianity, and we'll talk about um, what it means to, to defend um, the exclusivity of Christianity. Until then, uh, thanks for listening.